The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Your discretion is advised. Hi, everybody. Coming up, Nicole tells your fortune looking ahead. So get out your crystal and stay tuned with Mistress Nicole. All dressed in leather, you won't forget her. You want to love her and you won't let go. Who's that woman, crazy woman, Nicole? It's Friday. That means we just hit the ground running, right? Uh, no time to dally, no time for silly songs. Just time to get to Marcy Wheeler. It is Friday, and that means Marcy Wheeler is here, and that's a good thing. And, oh, my goodness, it seems like in the last 24 hours, there's been a just a ton of breaking news, that it, it, much of which borders on the crazy, uh, but what else is new? Welcome to life in 2023. Uh, so, Marcy, I'm not sure where to begin. Perhaps the new indictments against Hunter Biden? What What is all this about? Well, we expected, I mean, when the plea deal flopped in July, um, after that, prosecutor said, well, you know, we have to go to venue. So um, dismiss this one. And, and it was clear that the venue was going to be Los Angeles. So we expected it. And we honestly expected there's nothing that surprising. I'm actually a little bit, don't quote me on this, but I'm a little bit surprised they didn't charge 2017 as a felony as well, because um, the disgruntled IRS agents who have been, who basically demanded this indictment uh, wanted 2017 charged as well. Um, 28. And so basically it's a charge for, um, I wrote a post about this uh basically cheating on his taxes in 2018 and then they throw in uh 2019 2017 2016 for not paying his taxes on time which is you know what millions of americans do all the time he has of course since paid his taxes but he's going to be prosecuted for that anyway. Right. So here is um, a, a post that you put up this morning, December 8th, and, and you wrote, to understand the new indictment against Hunter Biden, consider that the maximum penalty for all nine charges in Los Angeles covering four years is eight years less than the maximum penalty for the three charges tied to 11 days of conduct in Delaware, and that's 25 years. And so you, it goes from 2016 to 2019, and you you have three of them bolded, tax evasion in 2018, false return in 2018, and false return in 2018. You say those are the, those are the serious ones. Um, Those are the felonies. Everything else is a misdemeanor. Yeah. And is there anything new here? I mean, why all of a sudden now are they coming with these? Is it just to throw so much shit against the wall and see what sticks? Um. No, I mean, again, we expected it. Uh, we, the, virtually all of the details that are in there are things that we've seen either from the disgruntled IRS agents or from the, the laptop. Um, so, and I, you know, I'm, at some point I'm going to go back and, ch- and compare the numbers because some of the numbers actually are low. So, for example, some of the claims that Congress is making about how much money Hunter Biden has made I think are higher than the numbers the IRS are making. So one thing that's going to happen 
if Hunter Biden uh, goes and testifies next Wednesday, as he's subpoenaed to do right now, is he'll say, you know, you guys got the numbers wrong. Like you've been sitting here saying that I made X, Y and Z amounts of money. And no, I didn't. So um, it's it is what it is. I think, um, you know, it will be if it goes to trial, um because this is the same thing and you know it's the same thing the prosecutors did with paul manafort is they tried to find the sleaziest things that paul manafort had so that they could kind of embarrass him and presumably wanted to do the same thing they wanted him to get a plea they wanted him to plead out um if you're hunter biden you have to look at this indictment and say you know this might go to trial in say june and uh if it goes to trial in june there's going to be a zillion reporters, all of, you know, like they haven't found anything on dad right. who's running for reelection, but they want to come to my trial and talk about how I had over $300,000 in payments to sex workers in 2018, which is, which is alleged. Yeah. Um, they, you know, it, like it is scandalous. That's a lot of sex worker money and a lot of um, that's on top of there's a uh, hundred thousand dollars of adult entertainment. And then yeah. there's, you know, a good chunk of money that was that went straight up his whatever, you know, up whatever he was smoking, I guess. Right. right? So his nose um, or his lungs or whatever. But this chart there. But yeah, yeah. yeah this I mean, chart that, that is the picture of an of an of an addict with access to a lot of money. Yeah. And um, and that's what Hunter Biden is going to have to think about when uh, when he considers whether he wants to go to trial. So this chart that I'm showing right now, you have obviously up at emptywheel.net and it's showing, um, uh, I guess, a spreadsheet, a, a, ta- a table that the um, uh, the special counsel has shown where Hunter Biden blew his money between 2016 and 2019. Um, what does the, I, I, maybe I'm missing something here. Hunter Biden is a uh, a private citizen, right? I mean, what what does this have to do with anything having to do with government? Well, I mean, it, it he cheated on his taxes in tw- in twenty seventeen, but he that paid the them. Idea. I mean, right? I'm sorry, in twenty eighteen, he since yes, paid he, them. He paid them, but he is accused of lying when he was sober, lying in tw- in in twenty twenty, and I suspect that they are going to accuse him of lying to his attorneys in twenty twenty two. So as to avoid admitting how much money he made in 2018 and how much taxes he had to pay. And it's that simple. I mean, you know, Paul Manafort was prosecuted for the same thing for an order of magnitude more. Um, Paul Manafort, the numbers were uh, 10 times what we're looking at here. Wow. If I, I, I guess I should go back and, and look. But the numbers were vastly larger. Well, uh let me let me take a step back. I, I let's say they were um, not ten times more, but five times more than than what we're looking at here. So still a ton of money and taxes weren't paid. The difference here is that uh, there's only a claim of um, false claims for one year, whereas for Manafort there were a bunch. There's no money laundering alleged here. Um, that's what the IRS assumed they were going to find and they didn't find it. I mean, the thing about Hunter, like I just, I just made a comment on, on Shitter, uh, Fox news. They're like, well, you know, Hunter Biden must've thought that he hid this all offshore and that the IRS wouldn't find it. It's like, 
you morons. No, he had like, no offshore accounts, right? All, all this money. Yes. And that's the crazy thing is like the, the IRS kept thinking they were going to find offshore accounts. They've never found them. If they exist, what does exist, all of that money goes through Wells Fargo and JP Morgan. Like, you know, <laughs> like last I checked, they, they went through Delaware. Like you can't get more closer to home than that. Than Delaware for the Bidens. Yeah, they went through Delaware. And um, uh, it is just that he, you know, so, so look, it is a tax cheat claim and people get prosecuted for being tax cheats. And uh, I'm sure David Weiss feels like he needs to make an example of Hunter Biden. Uh, I made a comment in that post you referenced that, uh, I think he needed to include the other years for a variety of reasons, one of which is he tries to argue that because Hunter Biden also didn't pay his 2019 taxes until 2021, uh, that it pr- it proves it wasn't just an addiction thing. It was, you know, he was sober at that point. He was also, you know, he he, he would say that he was broke at that point and the the refutation, and this is why, this is one of the reasons why prosecutors included all the stuff he was spending his money on. They say in there, well, he had $17,000 a month rent at a beautiful place in Venice Beach, and he was still driving his Porsche. So uh, their point is, what you should have done was buy a house out in Bakersfield <laughs> and get a Honda yeah. and and use the rest to pay your taxes. Uh, and And... You know, like, remember that he has gotten a lot of money from uh, entertainment lawyer Kevin Morris. I'm hoping I'm getting his name correct. And, um, you know, part of the indictment is like, well, you got all this money from Kevin Morris. Why didn't you pay the money to to the IRS? And part of the answer is he was paying it in alimony and he was paying it in child support and he was paying it to try and deal with those parts of his life. But that's that is what it is. It, it, it is astounding. Um, uh, and the fact that this, all of this was part of a, a plea agreement that had gone up to the, the 11th hour before a judge said, no, you can't do this. And then they went back to the drawing board and filed more charges. Yeah. And importantly, and this is uh, on Monday, I mean, things are like, it's crazy this week, right? But next week it's going to be even crazier because on on Monday, um, Hunter is due to file his motions to dismiss in his Delaware case. And at least before this happened, Abby Lowell was suggesting he was going to go fairly nuclear with those. And and for example, you know, he has been saying that he wants to claim that um, that David Weiss outright reneged on certain agreements that he made in May and or in June. And to prove that, uh, he's going to ask for discovery. Um, a couple weeks ago, he said that he wants to, actually, it's more than a couple, it's it's a, about a month almost. Um, he said that he wants to subpoena Donald Trump. And he's like, look, you know, I can prove that Donald Trump was trying to intervene in this case. I can prove that right before you changed your mind about whether this investigation was ongoing or not, Donald Trump threatened you. And and you and all of the investigative team got all these threats. So that's going to happen on Monday. I have no idea whether Abby Lowell will change the way he approaches this. Um, I suspect that this indictment depends on getting the testimony of Hunter's attorneys who negotiated that plea deal. 
Um, so that's my guess. That's just a guess, but. Right. No, no. I've also read you wrote Marcy Wheeler could have been on shitter at empty wheel. It could have been on, on the blog or any number of other places that, um, the, it's, it's basically a given. We know that Donald Trump, uh, instigated IRS investigations into a number of people, including uh, James Comey and um, um, who is the other ousted FBI. uh, No. So the IRS says that didn't happen. Uh, It is the case that James Comey and um, Andrew McCabe McCabe. were both were were both audited in in or around the same period that they were fired. And statistically, Um, that just wouldn't happen. Impossible. We also know that. he told people that he wanted the IRS to investigate Peter Strzok as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not unreasonable to imagine him saying, you know, to somebody, I want the IRS to investigate Hunter Biden. And that's actually a crime if he did it to the IRS. If he did it just to, to Bill Barr, I'm not sure that's a crime. But if he did it to the IRS, then it is a crime. It's a five year penalty crime. And it specifically says presidents can't do this. Um, And that's one of the things that Abby Lowell is going to ask for. He's going to be like, you know, we know that Donald Trump was pressuring his attorney general and his acting attorney general to ratchet up these charges. Did he ask for this IRS prosecution in particular? And, you know, he's going to argue or I, you know, unless he settles quickly, he's going to argue that there are I counted on that post today. There are seven people that plausibly may have committed a crime in the effort to charge Hunter Biden. And that's, you know, that's hard to get into a courthouse. It's hard to get before a judge. But this is a really unusual case. I mean, it is proven that Donald Trump uh, bitched out both Bill Barr and Jeffrey Rosen saying you need to ratchet up charges against Hunter Biden and right. at different times, too. I mean, he did it with Bill Barr uh, actually before the 2020 election, among other things. So, you know, I, I call it opposite world. It's like you, everything, it, it's the mirror opposite of what it appears to be. Um, the the whole, uh, you know, the, the Trump and his maggot friends accusing the Biden administration of doing exactly what they did, uh, selective prosecution, going after political enemies. This is this is Trump's M.O., and it's what they're pointing a finger and saying the Biden administration is guilty of. Yet there's still no correlation. There's no connection other than Hunter Biden is Joe's son. Um, this doesn't implicate Joe Biden at all. In fact, I think you wrote the House GOP is going to impeach Joe Biden for helping his son buy a truck. Look, and I mean, the reason that Donald Trump got hung hung up on this um, and and honestly, the fact that this is not 24 seven reporting, the fact that New York Times can do eight reports about how bad Trump is going to be down the road and not talk about this is is just insane. Because the reason Donald Trump started picking up on Hunter Biden in the first place is I'm sure uh, Paul Manafort told him to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that other people, uh, I mean, remember that when this Rudy Giuliani comes into Donald Trump's defense in 2018 and he's in touch with, you know, through the entire period, he's in touch with Paul Manafort. Both of them have ties to Ukraine and 
these you these corrupt Ukrainians. I mean, uh, the, the, OK, let's take a step back. The reason Hunter Biden was hired by Burisma in 2014 in the first place is because it was a corrupt company. And in the wake of the ouster of Yanukovych, they wanted some influence. So it was corrupt. Mm-hmm. And they went to Hunter Biden. They said, can you help us out? And it's actually fairly remarkable that throughout uh, these emails that people think were so damning, you know, over and over again, he's like, I really can't, I can't be a registered lobbyist. I don't like he it's clear that like his downfall, in a sense, is that Joe told him not to lobby while Joe was vice president. So, So at the beginning of the administration, he was lobbying for like the Jesuits. (laughs) <laughs> and then at the end, he was lobbying for Burisma. That is Ugh. the downfall of Hunter Biden. And Burisma wanted him, and so did CFC, and so did this Romanian guy. They all wanted him because they thought that they could buy access. And one of the things that this impeachment investigation has disclosed, I do this every week, but no one else talks about it, so I'm going to talk about it forever. Please. Please. Um, as, according to Chuck Grassley, in, in uh, January 2016, um, DOJ opened an investigation of Nikola Zlochevsky, the head of Burisma, right? So while Joe Biden was vice president, his son was on the board of Burisma. Again, according to Chuck Grassley, DOJ opens an investigation into the head of the company that Hunter Biden is working for. Uh, Zlochevsky hired Hunter Biden to cut down investigations, and instead he got an investigation. And so he's pissed, right? Like he spent all this money on Hunter Biden and right. the exact opposite of what he wanted happened. And so, you know, I think he kept him on his payroll so as to have something to offer up. And sure enough, uh, he offered it up. And we don't know that there was a tie. But what we do know is that, again, according to Chuck Grassley, in December of 2019, in the middle of the first impeachment, while Trump is beating impeachment by claiming that it is right to investigate Burisma for corruption, they shut down the investigation into Zlochevsky and literally days into 2020. So this is when the investigation into Hunter Biden is in full swing. Um, they, um, Bill Barr sets up this whole system to take Rudy's dirt that he has gotten from, we know that he solicited it from Zlochevsky. Uh, we know that he met with Andrei Dorkach, who has since been basically labeled as a Russian spy by both the Ukrainians and the United States. And so Bill Barr sets up this, this system so that Rudy Giuliani can share this stuff and then have it then shared in turn with the investigation that just led to this tax indictment yesterday. And so the reason Donald Trump picked this up is because two of his key advisors, Paul Manafort and Rudy Giuliani, have ties to Ukraine. And the Ukrainian said, oh, you want to go after Bill, uh, you want to go after Joe Biden, go after Hunter Biden. And so this was their way of sort of making good on Hunter Biden backfiring. You know, they thought by 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 hiring Hunter Biden, Mm -hmm. Joe Biden would back off of his corruption kick. And instead, they you know, there were new investigations. And so this is literally um, uh revenge for these corrupt Ukrainians against Joe Biden for cracking down on their corruption. And Trump used that to, and has used it, you know, has used it now for five years to go after Joe Biden. And this is what isn't getting reported. And this is what, I mean, I mean, let's, the, 
there were there were two separate investigations that started. One um, is this guy Ziegler that you see on TV all the time, and he claims that uh, his that this started organically. It started from a, a suspicious activity report uh, tied to payments. He, to he was he the IRS whistleblower, alleged whistleblower. The, I mean, please don't call him. A I know he's, that's why I said alleged. Know, I mean, it's a, he, yeah, he is a disgruntled IRS agent who completely misrepresented what David Weiss said, and as a result, uh, just blown up. You know, like it like led to threats against against David Weiss, the the U.S. attorney, and against the FBI agents investigating this. Um, and so, what you know, uh, one theory of what happened is that in the face of threats ratcheted up by Jim Jordan and Donald Trump, mm-hmm. they said, okay, we got to go back and we got to prosecute this guy. And that's what, what got us here. Um, it's the other side of the investigation, the one that actually started out of Delaware, where DOJ kept throwing garbage at it. So for example, there were these Ukrainians who went to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Los Angeles in in twenty. Uh, in, tw- in January of 2019, right? So this mm-hmm. is when this is the same Rudy Giuliani phase, and these people probably have ties to Rudy Giuliani. They go there, they say we have dirt on Hunter Biden, and that gets shared with uh, the with with David Weiss. And so we know that the like people from all over the world were dumping garbage into David Weiss's investigation, um, and some of it they were able to keep out, like Tony Bobulinski. They they tried to keep him from influencing the investigation. He actually, I don't think, shows up in the indictment. Um, but some of it we know that Bill Barr, want, you know, demanded that David Weiss take it in. And so um, we'll see how much of that uh, Abby Lowell gets to see in Discovery. And one other thing that I, I just have to point out, the, the, the whole existence of this investigation and these indictments, this new batch of indictments yesterday, disproves... Trump and his minions' assertions that the DOJ is weaponized under Joe Biden and he's using it to go after his political foes. No, that's what Donald Trump did. Um, and and what we've heard is Joe Biden didn't have a heads up on the, these new indictments yesterday. He's not ever put his finger on the scale to try to do anything one way or another. Weiss, this investigation into Hunter Biden was started under Bill Barr, under the the Donald Trump administration, right? Yeah, and Weiss testified a few weeks ago and he told the House Judiciary Committee that he has never, ever spoken to Lisa Monaco, who is is his boss, Mm -hmm. and that the only time he had spoken to uh, Merrick Garland is when he asked for special counsel's authority. So like his assistant that his um, I I was mocking his new title principal uh, special principal senior special counsel, whatever that guy, the guy in charge of the prosecution for him. Right. um, In a filing said, you know, these these prosecutions came under joe biden there's there was no tie to these republicans it's like there is literally not a single political appointee that uh has spoken to david weiss since this has moved towards prosecution the guy at doj tax who has been in charge of it um has been he's he's a long-term career appointee both in dc and los angeles the people who said we're not going to partner on this were career 
career prosecutors who advised their bosses. So it is true that the U.S. attorneys from D.C. and and Los Angeles met with David Weiss and said, we don't want to partner on this. But they were they were basically passing on the advice of of non-political appointees. Um, and then the guy who is supervising this in uh, in DOJ is is somebody who was promoted to the position he's in by Jeff Sessions. Okay, oh, So like a, if you compare to the Mueller investigation where um, you may remember there was a lawyer who was in charge of um, um, what's her name? Governor of Alaska. Crazy lady. Sarah Palin. Um, Sarah Palin. Yeah. So he was Sarah Palin's handler while she was the VP candidate. Oh, God. And that's the guy who was in charge. Like he was crazy political even then. And that's the guy who was in charge of overseeing Mueller at the end. Um, totally, you know, total, totally hackish and did some crazy things and Bill Barr. And we know that. And then you compare this and the guy who's overseeing the David Weiss investigation is this guy who is promoted the position he's in by Jeff Sessions and has been there basically his entire career. That's the comparison. Wow. It's it, it's astounding that the, the, and the, the disinformation that goes along with it. And I'm glad you're here to, you know, shine a light on it. Unfortunately, the rest of the media seems to be um, going along with this like it's a legitimate and it is. Look, there were crimes committed, but Hunter Biden uh, were other people who are in the same boat as Hunter Biden, who fucked up, had drug addictions, had tax problems, but then paid it back. Are they usually prosecuted and certainly are, are to this extent? Well, the comparison you're going to hear a lot in the next uh, year or half year until this is prosecuted is Roger Stone, because after Roger Stone was um, pardon DOJ went back and they're like, Hey, you haven't paid your taxes. And there was dodgy stuff there too. They like were moving the money around so that they couldn't find it. There mm-hmm. was, there was at least as much dodgy stuff as there is here. Here. The amount was $2 million. Roger Stone was sued civilly and was able to come to an agreement that way. But that was before he paid the charges, right? right. Paul Manafort too was given an opportunity to make a settlement to pay the taxes. Uh, Hunter Biden is now being prosecuted, felony prosecution, having paid the taxes. Amazing. It's just amazing. Marcy Wheeler is here. So the other big story is, and something else that was expected, with all the different prosecutions of Trump going on, I have a hard time keeping track. I need to have a chart up on the wall. But the one, the one that Judge Chutkin is presiding over um, is scheduled to go to trial in March. Uh, I believe jury selection notices already went out. They're supposed to start Mm -hmm. jury selection in January and Trump as expected has filed another appeal, but this one he's asking for everything to be shut down until this appeal runs its course. Is that normal? Uh, it's not surprising. In fact, um, the, they asked for this to happen in, in October and DOJ's response was, Hey, to Chitkin, can you decide the ones that he can ask for an interlocutory, uh, appeal now so that he can get that started and we'll try and accelerate that. So there, there were two, there were two things that he's allowed to appeal right away. One is, um, a, um, a double jeopardy claim. Um, so that one, that one's fairly normal. People claim double jeopardy all the time. 
uh, Trump is claiming it. He's claiming that he was impeached already for this stuff, so he can't be prosecuted for it. Now, a Senate trial is not a a, is not a the same as a trial um, in a court of law by a jury of your peers, right? Well, plus it's a different charge. He was not charged with incitement criminally, mm-hmm. um, so none of the things he's cri- he's charged with were charged in impeachment. So that's an easy question. And for double jeopardy claims, a judge can say this is a frivolous claim, and then the appeal doesn't hold the prosecution. As to the other one, which is absolute immunity, immunity that's never been done before. And honestly, it'd be it'd be. Sh- It'd be shocking to because interlocutory appeals can stay proceedings. It would be shocking for this not to do it. I mean, we all know this is going to get appealed to the Supreme Court or or, I mean, they're going to get a chance to weigh in. Um, And so it's frustrating. It is nerve wracking, but it really isn't surprising. I mean, this is the thing about prosecuting a former president for the first time ever uh, no one knows how this works. There's not a precedent. Um, and so, you know, it, it, I hate the guy, but honestly, it's not surprising it was going to happen this way. Right. And so what are the chances? I mean, uh, Judge Chutkin is trying to go through with everything, all the uh, motions that, that happened, the pretrial motions, the, the jury selection and all that. This appeal that Trump wants, it would stop all that until the appeal is decided. Um, when will this be decided? When will the appeal be decided? I mean, when will they, when will we know about this? Um, so right now it's on schedule to be delayed, but, uh, but I, I, I expect it to be somewhat accelerated. Um, and the DC circuit has just, just issued a ruling. I mean, this happened last week. Right. They issued a ruling on a civil case and said that for things that don't involve official acts, a president can be sued, a former president can be sued. So for the same things that Trump is charged with criminally, he could be sued for. So that makes it a lot easier on the criminal case. Um, It's just, you know, it's it is a big issue. Right. It's this has been pending before Chutkin now for two months. So, you know, you have to expect the judges at the DC circuit to look at it and you, you know, you have to, we've been expecting this appeal to SCOTUS for years. Mm -hmm. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and like, to my mind, I still, I have thought probably 50 times, what is Kavanaugh going to do when he gets this? Because for there's a lot of reasons this implicates stuff that pertain to Kavanaugh. All of the Jan Sixers have always said, what is different between the interruption of, of the vote certification and the interrupt, uh, interruption as protesters did with Kavanaugh's uh, confirmation hearings? There are differences. One is that the protesters uh, who interrupted his hearing were not armed. They also were legally in the Capitol. Um, but, you know, that these are, this is, the, the the indictment was never going to be a silver bullet. There were always going to be aspects of it like this that come with deciding to prosecute a former president for the first time. Right. So, okay. So that's playing out this, this hearing before judge Chutkin is the remind us which, which trial is this? Because there are so many different prosecutions. That's the January 6th federal one. Okay. That's the Jack Smith one. Yep. Okay. So meanwhile, this week, Trump was back in court in New York 
on the and 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 Colorado and Colorado. Oh, God, I forgot about Colorado for a second there. But in New York, he was in the courtroom yesterday. I guess he's not there today, but he will be the final witness called by the defense before they rest. Now, this case has already been decided by the judge. This is the one where Trump's lawyers never asked for a jury trial. Um as they should have. And the judge, this is basically all damages because the judge already found the Trump organization was liable and cannot do business in New York anymore. So what, what are they, they're trying to mitigate the damages? Yeah. The question is, you know, honestly, given what I've seen of the testimony, my guess is that the damages like Trump has made a decent argument about some of his properties that he he valued them at least reasonably. The one he hasn't, though, the one that he clearly overvalued and every witness up there has said he overvalued is Trump Tower. Uh Like he literally said that his um, his penthouse in Trump Tower, he said it was three times as big as it is. That's not a close call. And so you might see something like he loses Trump Tower, but doesn't lose the rest of the properties. There's another one in New York that he might lose, too, for shenanigans that he did. But but in any in any case, the question is, does he have to divest of the property? Does he have to be disgorged of the properties? And that's what we're waiting to hear. Okay, and then the, the judge gets to decide that as well, since there is no jury on this. Yeah, there was not ever going to be a jury, but. uh but, you know, Trump's going to make a deal out of it in any case. Well, of so. course. And apparently yesterday in the courtroom, he went before the cameras not to not to talk about this case, but to 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 slander judges in other cases. And, you know, just to, to throw more noise at the at the wall to, to distract people from what's happening. Yeah. And remember that the D.C. Circuit is still trying to decide what to do with Trump's gag in the D.C. case. Wow. So, uh, and you know, when it's like, uh, it's, it's like this, you know, one of the things that prosecutors did this week in that same DC case is say that they want to introduce evidence that, um, Trump, for example, intended to start a riot at TCF center in, in Detroit, at the counting Detroit. Um, they, they want to include a lot of evidence about the Proud Boys, which I've been saying is going to happen forever, but now they're moving towards making that rule. They're, they're talking about how he deliberately, uh, sets people up for threats with Ruby Freeman. Oh, by the way, the next week crazy is, uh, Rudy Giuliani's trial. Yes. Um, Ruby Freeman's lawsuit against Rudy Giuliani. I told you next week is going to be crazy. I promise you it's going to be crazy. <laughs> but, I, but in any case, like, um, so the, you know, like, the case in D.C. is closer and closer to saying he routinely and systematically sets people up for death threats. That is his that is his modus operandi. Mm-hmm. This is not you know, this is not a frivolous claim. And yet we're still trying to decide how many threats he can he can bring against judges, prosecutors, the prosecutor against his opponent's son and so on and so forth. And any other criminal defendant who made such threats, who incited violence against court personnel, lawyers, what have you, they'd be thrown in jail, wouldn't they? They would. I mean, people make a lot of comparisons. They say, well, if Trump is found guilty, he would be thrown, anyone else in that can, you know, would be 
thrown to jail right away. That's not true. You know, there's a lot of comparison. Like it is not true that people charged with um, retaining classified information always go to jail. There are a number of contemporary cases where people didn't. So many of those comparisons are not true. But in this case, there's this great January 6er. Uh, his name is Brandon Fellows. And when he, when his bail was revoked, it's two two years ago, at least now, um, I described him a uh, big Trump narcissist <laughs> in a little life body because he is very much like Trump. He's a showman. He's done, been an actor. Um, but he did exactly the kind of things that Trump do, d- does. Like uh, he, he was uh, charged or something in upstate New York where he's from. And he called the judge's wife in a way that was ominous, very similar to the kinds of things that Trump does all the time. And that was one of the things that probation in upstate New York brought to Trevor McFadden, who is the Trumpiest judge in DC and said, you know, this is one of the reasons we want, we want to revoke bail. Like the guy was only charged with obstruction, same as Trump. Uh, They brought it to Trevor McFadden and said, you know, this is why we want to revoke bail. And, Trevor McFadden, who's a former cop, looks at, and Brandon Fellows, this guy, like Trump, gets on the stand. And he says, yeah, you know, I was just doing, I I learned there was a gimmick and I was trying to pull it. I mean, just like Trump. And Trevor Trevor McFadden, a Trump-appointed judge, is like, you are going to jail. Because the notion that you would call my wife or another judge's wife and threaten them so as to get to handpick your own judge, that should send you to jail. Um, yeah. So yes, that's a, that is a that is a direct parallel. Brandon Mc, Brandon Fellows has did exactly the same things that Trump is doing now, and yet he's out. And uh, Fellows was was in DC jail for the entire. And and honestly, that dude, he's a complete jerk. But that dude already has done more time than he would have done if he had just cooperated from the start. Well, that I mean, that that that's that's as it probably should be. And you've seen it. You even have a chart up at emptywheel.net about uh, let me see if I can find it real quickly. The, um, you know, or or maybe it was a tweet that you sent or a shit that you see, here it is um, about the uh, can I pull it? Oh, I'm going to have to pull it to a different window um, here. I'm going to put it over you down here and see if this works. Maybe not. Um, anyway, what, what it is is 471 January 6th defendants sentenced to prison so far. You have 360 pleaded guilty and sentenced for the attack. Um, the average fines and restitution paid were 5,748. Average months in prison sentence, 14. As opposed to 108 who were convicted in court and sentenced, their average fines and restitution was 9,426. And average sentence months in prison was 53. So it's showing that those who cooperated um, got off. No, that's not no? really fair. No? I mean, people- okay. You're more likely to plead guilty like the uh, the the felonies that most January Sixers are pleading guilty to are either the lower level assault or basically riot. And so those those felony sentences are only going to carry six to six months to 18 months, depending on who you're talking about. Whereas the ones where you're seeing the big sentences 
are either very egregious assault cases, often with the obstruction added in, or um, or the sedition cases. I mean, we you know the sedition those the, those what well, the people who are getting the, the 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 people who are bringing up that average are either complex conspiracies and or assault. They're not you know they're those three hundred who plead guilty are often as not people who plead who who find a way to plead to just a simple assault against a cop. Gotcha. All right. So it depends on the crime as well. Um, But 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 we're seeing it also with, um, you know, the defendants or the the unnamed co-conspirators or the or the indicted co-conspirators, those who cut deals have a way almost to get out of jail free card if they cooperate. But if they don't, they're going to be prosecuted early and often. I mean, that's pro- defense attorneys will always tell you that. And especially when you're charged with conspiracy, like in Georgia. Um, now, Jack Smith is not known to be doing that with Trump's people. I mean, Trump in recent weeks said, can I have discovery of all the people who've gotten plea deals? And uh, the response from prosecutors was like, uh, I think you mean the January 6th crime scene people, because, you know, and the implication was there aren't people who've gotten plea deals yet uh, for Trump. Now, you know, we'll see. Eventually there may be like, no, it's really hard to understand what Jack Smith is doing with the other co-conspirators because he's not he's not approaching it the way you normally would. Why? Because that's what Mueller tried to do. And it didn't work. Hmm. And the one reason it didn't work is because Trump, you know, pardoned everyone out of there. And and until Trump either loses the 2024 election or is in prison and disqualified from being president, then, you know, spending the prosecutorial energies of 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 convicting all of his co-conspirators isn't going to be worth it because if he becomes president again, he's just going to pardon. pardon them. Right. And I guess also Jack Smith wants to get to trial as soon as possible. And the easiest way to do that is to have the cleanest prosecution with the one defendant, Donald Trump, and then deal with the other ones after. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, again, we don't know. We don't know what uh, we don't. Yeah. Look, I mean, if if this trial, if the if the March trial gets delayed, then we should expect something else to happen. Mm -hmm. Like if the trial gets delayed, then then Jack Smith might start indicting all of the co-conspirators, because why not? Why not? Now, so there's the Jack Smith trial supposed to get underway in March. We'll see. There's appeals in the works now. Then there's Georgia. Fonnie Willis, who was ready to go, uh, you know, last month, I guess. Do we have a status on that? And the documents case in Florida, which we judge Eileen Cannon, um, I guess, is delaying, delaying, delaying as long as she can. Yeah, so she is delaying. I mean. You know, and again, I want to be I want to be fairly objective about this. It is unusual to go to trial with a SEPA case in less than a year. Okay. So um, so it is at once. Remarkable that it might go to trial within a year, but it is also the case that she is doing things to delay that are unnecessary and unusual. Um, we're getting closer to the, to the spot where um where prosecutors may appeal something down there as well, because the way in which she's doing SEPA, the how you deal with classified information with uh, Walt Malta and Dale Oliveira, 
is unusual. And so I think if she pushes that too far, then, um, yeah, then, then we'll see. We'll see. Everything is still in flux. And, uh, you know, he's almost like that wounded animal who's going to lash out whatever way he can. And and again, a lot of the machinations coming from Trump world are not coming from him at all, but from the attorneys that he has hired to try to get everything delayed. And uh, the appeal that we talked about earlier, um, if he is successful in that appeal and, and and gets everything stopped until the appeal runs its course and that means goes all the way to the Supreme Court, chances are that he he will not be tried before the election. And if he somehow gets in office. I think even with this appeal, I think it's still likely this will go to trial before the election. Uh, the, the classified, the stolen documents case, I think that that is far less likely to go to trial before the election. Bonnie Willis is now arguing about whether or not she can go to trial in August um, Trump's lawyer is trying to say that's election interference. That seems ridiculous. Like, how could you, how could it be election interference to, to be tried on a crime of stealing the election? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So a, a lot's still up in the air and Marcy Wheeler <laughs> keeps track of all of it. Again, I, I, I think I'm going to have to put up a chart in here with dates and stuff because I, I can't keep track. One other thing we're trying to keep track of now are the movements in the House of Representatives. So we're seeing something like we've never seen before. So last week when we spoke on Friday, um, George Santos had been expelled. That had just happened. Well, since then, Patrick McHenry, who was acting speaker for about a minute and a half, announced that he will not run for re-election, though he says he's going to serve out his term. However, you know, Howie Klein was here yesterday and he believes that a major sex scandal is going to break involving Patrick McHenry that will uh, get him out of office sooner. So we'll see what happens there. Then Kevin McCarthy, despite saying that he wasn't going anywhere yesterday, says, well, he's going to resign and he will do it by the end of the month, which means that the margin um, uh, for the Republican majority in the House is is basically as small as it can possibly be, which leaves open the possibility that uh, any one of a number of things could happen, which would give the Democrats a majority before the next election, in which case, what, they would put forth a motion to vacate and elect a new speaker? Yeah, I mean, if... And look, I mean, we're still quite a ways away from that because you, you it like the it is it is the case that Republicans are down to three people that they can lose on any given vote. Uh, if certain things happen, there will be a period when they're down to two. But it's not like, you know, if Patrick McHenry McHenry leaves early, uh, whoever replaces him in a special election, there will be a two month period where that's vacant, but then it'll be filled by another Republican again. I mean, because everything is so gerrymandered. Uh, um, Santos's seat is one where you could, and it's likely the Democrats will flip mm-hmm. it with Swozy running. Um, but most of the, like, no, you know, a Democrat is not going to win Kevin McCarthy. No, seat. but one thing that Howie said yesterday that I don't understand it, but what he said is, Kevin McCarthy would have to leave office by 5 p.m. Eastern today 
in order for um, for Gavin Newsom to be compelled to mount a new uh, election to replace him before the end of the term. If he doesn't resign and leave office by 5 p.m. today, that seat could remain open for another year. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So um, how he, <laughs> what he said is he believes that Kevin McCarthy is basically saying, screw you to the people who, you know, ousted him from his job as speaker. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, more power to him in that case. Yeah. Yep. yep. Right. Um, there's another story this week that um, is just with everything else going on, I, you have to ask why. But every year I go through this. Uh, Time magazine floats their nominees for the person of the year. And I have to remind people that it is not an honor that someone aspires to be named the Time magazine person of the year, unless you're Donald Trump, because you're an idiot. Um, it, it is supposed to be based on the person who has had the most influence over the headlines throughout the year. And I don't know. And usually I think they have this big buildup for at least a few days where there's speculation this year, they just came out and said, it's Taylor Swift. Um, and they, they, they said they went for the one who gave joy and which fine at the right now with the way things are in this world, we could all use a little more joy. Um, but boy, this really ruffled some maggot feathers, didn't it? They're pissed. Yeah, yep. Stephen Miller is outraged about it, which I find hilarious. <laughs> and, um, and I, I'm trying to like rile up the Swifties. I'm not a Swiftie myself, uh, but I'm trying to rile up the Swifties to, to, to get them to realize that this, you know, that Trump's, um, fascist spokesperson, his fascist like brain trust doesn't think that Taylor Swift should get recognition all on her own. And the kind of recognition that, of course, Trump actually cares about. Right. And the thing is, it's not, you know, how many times, uh, decades, do you have to repeat the criteria? It's not like an award that somebody gets. It's not an honorarium. It's not, it's just a thing. It's like this person influenced the news. Hitler was person of the year, man of the year back then. Um, I am glad that I'm, I'm glad that Swift got it because, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think it is, I, and it's of the year of Barbie. I mean, I think the reason it drives people like Stephen Miller crazy is because she is a very successful businesswoman who, you know, refused to be bossed by a bunch of like institutional men. Right. And that is precisely what people like Stephen Miller are trying to, to trying to uh, regress against. Yeah. And just the thought that Stephen Miller, uh, this, uh, what did you call him? Do you have a, you have a name for him? Oh, discount Goebbels. <laughs> discount That's a good one. Um, th- that he is so out of sorts because Taylor Swift was named Times Person of the Year makes me all the more appreciative that they did it. Because what a what a twerp he is, and the fact that he would, in a in a second Trump term, likely get a cabinet position, is just astounding. I, I got to ask you: do, do you think all the focus this week, and we've seen a lot of it this week, like the Atlantic coming out with a special uh, a, a, a magazine? all devoted to the what would happen if Trump gets another term, the, the disaster that would spell. 
is it too early for this or, 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 or people? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why is there's a piece in the Rolling Stone and I'm going to, I would bollocks the names of the reporters, but there's a piece in the Rolling Stone talking about how maggots have are disrupting the normal system to kind of track voters from one state to another. Um, it's in Rolling Stone. It went up today. Was it Oswin? Swin Subasang? Mm-hmm. Was it Oswin? Os- yep, exactly. Okay. Yep. Um, and that article is an example of what I think uh, what I think journalists should be looking at because it talks about the threat that is here and now. Right. This is this is the kind of reporting that we saw in November 2020 that people dismissed and said we don't have to deal with it. This is the kind of reporting that. Uh, is an alarm that says we need to fix this problem before the election. Same thing with like uh, with experienced election workers. We need yeah. to make sure that the the people who run the elections in 2024 are people who know what they're doing and, and things like, I mean, and not to toot my own horn, but like if, if you can't understand that the Joe Biden impeachment is a continuation of what Donald Trump was doing in 2019, you're not going to adequately describe how Trump will use dictatorial powers if he gets reelected. It is more important to educate people about what we already know, what we can prove that Trump has done um, and hopefully use that to, I mean, and, and to explain to people why it's a bad thing, right? Why these things like, like, I mean, the, the example I always go back to is Don Bacon's wife getting treated the same way that Fonnie Willis and Tanya Chutkin and Judge Engeron are being treated. Right. right? So uh, the wives of the people who voted against Jim Jordan to be speaker were given the same treatment that Ruby Freeman That's has right. gotten. Death threats and, and worse. And, yeah. And I think what we need to do is talk about how even maggots will at one day come a, come on the wrong side of Donald Trump or Steve Bannon or Stephen Miller. And it you know may not be something they see now, or it may be their reproductive health, which is something that a lot of women, I think, you know, have have parted ways with the Republican Party. But that's the kind of story that is going to be useful, is explaining to people the downsides of dictatorship. Like, things are crazy right now, but I promise you, if you have to live your life such as uh, so as to be subject to the whims of Donald Trump or somebody like him, life is going to get worse. Right. I don't care who you are. I mean, and that's why Kevin McCarthy left, right? Of course. Kevin McCarthy didn't want to live in this world anymore. Um, had he learned his lesson about this on January 6th and not made all the concessions he made to Donald to stay in Donald Trump's good side, mm-hmm. then, you know, we might not be in the position we are, but he did because he yes. was a coward. And, and Mitch McConnell too, better. right? Yep. Yeah, Mitch well, McConnell to a lesser too. Degree right. than, yeah, he didn't go down and kiss the ring, but he, he stood on the floor and said, Donald Trump is responsible for this. Make no mistake. Just like Kevin McCarthy did. And then, it was almost never mind, you know, uh, pulling a, a Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. Um, one last question for you. This week was the week that uh, Liz Cheney's book came out. Now, Liz Cheney, a totally a polar opposite. I would, I'll, I'll speak for you, for both of us, than uh, where we are. However, she is... Um, I think it's the most important American award this year for or this week for standing up and speaking truth is something that nobody else in her 
party or limited few in her party are willing to do. And she saw a lot of things and knows a lot of stuff. And um, uh, I, I still don't like her, but I have a newfound respect for her. Yeah, I stopped calling her the the mean name that I used to call her when she voted for impeachment. Uh, and I and I think that um, she is somebody who has the personal wherewithal to not be a coward. Mm-hmm. And there aren't many people like that. I mean, no. like I look at Peter Meyer, who used to be my my congressperson uh, from West Michigan, who also voted for impeachment. And he, you know, former military, uh, comes from a super rich family, um, and he voted for impeachment and then immediately capitulated, yeah. you know, immediately gave up. And I, and, and now like he is claiming to run for the Senate in, in Michigan and, um, and, you know, all of these Republicans, some quite reasonable or used to be somewhat reasonable. They're like, Oh yeah. You know, I of course would vote for Donald Trump. And it's like, look, you know, if you want to save the country, you can't do that. If you want to save the country, Donald Trump is not your guy. Right. And Liz Cheney has not backed off that, whereas a lot of other people have. I mean, we'll see what happens when McCarthy uh, leaves Congress. You know, maybe he'll use all the millions he has to start uh, only rewarding those who stand up to Trump. But um, mm. you know, it's going to be it's a crazy time. Like it is a it is an incredible, crazy time. And next week is going to be even crazier than this one. So we will look forward to next Friday. Is it the closer we get to the holidays, the more insane it gets. Go figure. Uh, Marcy Wheeler, as always, read emptywheel.net and support her work there because it is, um, it, it, it's, it's necessary and it's stuff you're not getting anywhere else. Emptywheel.net and follow Marcy at emptywheel on the shitter and at, uh, on blue sky and Mastodon as well. I'll put links up on the blog with uh, today's show. Um, thank you. Have a wonderful week and we'll, we'll, we'll prepare for next week's craziness. See you next week. Thank you. Marcy Wheeler. Um, I, I love talking to her. I, I learned something every every time we talk uh just so you know i don't center topics or questions ahead of time we just have a conversation she never knows what i'm going to ask her about and interestingly enough she just always knows the answers or has a pretty good idea of what the answer is um anyway um with that we're done for the week it is the second night of hanukkah if you celebrate Happy Hanukkah. Uh, What else? Stay warm. And thank you for listening. It's been a rough (laughs) few weeks. Uh, It's nice to have a weekend here. So get out and enjoy it. Next week, uh, Laffy's here on Tuesday. We have an author of a book, Dying for Capitalism, on Monday. How Big Money Fuels Extinction and What We Can Do About It. The author, the guy Charles Derber, that I'm going to be speaking with is pretty fascinating so that and um yeah i'll see you next week have a great weekend peace out